Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer Aerospace Excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed. If you love Dynasty Leagues and prospects, you came to the right place because that's what this show is all about. Covering the majors and all levels of the minor leagues to give you the leg up in your Dynasty Leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, Dynasty and Prospect Fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 38 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store for you all today with an exciting guest. Before we bring on that guest, I got to bring on my brother from a southern mother, Mr. Chris Clegg. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Eric? Uh, another good day to talk baseball. I'm sitting here watching the Home Run Derby as we record, so we get to chat about some Dynasty and prospects and watch the all-star weekend. So it's a great time. Exciting to exciting time for baseball for sure. Absolutely. I'm currently watching what looks like some guy that's 95 years old throwing the Pete Alonzo. <laughs> right. <laughs> looks like my grandfather out there. Somebody lost him joust. He's throwing um, great pitches for him though, right down the middle. He is. Alonso's up to 19 right now. Yep, 19 now. Up 20. Okay. Stop looking at the TV. We'll get distracted here. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a great guest here. Now, he's making his toolshed debut from damn near the border of Canada. This is a man that has introduced me more times than anyone else in the history of podcasting. <laughs> he's been known by many names, including Admiral of the USS Buttercream, Dirty <laughs> Dawkin, and many more. He writes the weekly SP barometer on Fantrax HQ, ranking the top 100 starting pitchers every week, and works for the, for the United States Postal Service in his spare time. A man that always handles with care. Nathan freaking Dawkins joins us. Nathan, how's it going up there in the great state of North Dakota? Uh, very good. Thank you for that. That was probably the best intro I've ever had. So thank you for I that. Thought, you, you've introduced me so many times. I'm like, <laughs> I got to like get the last like three years of in- introductions into this one here. Yeah, you did well. But yeah, it's uh, I'm on vacation right now. Baseball is on vacation. It's pretty great. You know, I got the polar bear up there bashing home runs in Colorado. And I have a polar bear as a neighbor up here in the northernmost <laughs> Dakota. So we're hanging out watching the polar bear as well. It's uh, it's a good time. So yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to talking about a lot of pitching today. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun episode. I think you have a, you have a moose for a neighbor too, don't you? Yeah, he's on the west side of me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's how they he's- roll up there in North Dakota. That's right. Yeah, he doubles as my coat rack as well, so it's very convenient. <laughs> like you mentioned, it's the better of the two Dakotas, right? You, you guys have that north-south rivalry going. 
Clearly, yeah, I'm still plotting to blow up the uh, Mount Rushmore you know, establishment. So keep that on the down low, I guess, so they don't find out because they will try to thwart my plans yet again. But I'll get there. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I, I have full confidence that you will succeed in your plan one day. Um, before we get into the show, though, the usual housekeeping, you can find us all on Twitter. Nathan is at Nathan Dawkin. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. And please check out our Patreon for extra written content from both of us, bonus podcasts, private Discord access, access to our live prospect and dynasty rankings, and much more. These perks are available across four different tiers starting at $5. Or if you just want to thank and support Chris and I, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Sign up today at patreon.com slash toolshed. And, of course, check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the platform. Uh, I said Nathan's SP Barometer every week, all the Dynasty and Prospect work we do, and our other two baseball pods, Five Tool and SP Streamer. But let's get right into the episode here. As Nathan alluded to, we'll be talking some pitching this week, kind of a similar discussion to what we did last week. We're talking some struggling kind of big-name hitters and whether or not we want to buy low on them or not. Uh, got a lot, of, a lot of names on the list here, a lot of good names it's been a very interesting year but before we get into that we'll have a do our new news and notes segment and have a little discussion here on the tier two of starting pitchers obviously behind jacob Degrom. a couple news and notes here before we get into that discussion here let's get the uh the bad one out of the way we'll let you know mr clegg here mr atlanta braves fan do a little bit of mourning here with ronald acuna out for the year torn acl man this just sucks for fantasy for you know, baseball in general, this just sucks, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, and, you know, beyond just being a fan of the Braves, it's just sad for baseball. I mean, he's like one of the best young talents in the game. He's he's great for the game of baseball and, you know, out for the rest of the year. He may not even be ready to start next season. So hopefully he has a smooth recovery, gets back on track. You know, for fantasy purposes, you know, it's it's tough, especially in a redraft league, you know, automatic drop. I've even got questions in dynasty leagues, like, do I sell him off? Like, no, nah, you can't do that. Like, he's – He's still an elite talent. He's still so young. Just hold him. I mean, I really hate what happened, but you have to hold him. You can't sell him unless you get like 90 cents on the dollar, which still is expensive. Like I'm thinking you have to get a top 10 dynasty guy to trade him in dynasty leagues, in my opinion. So if you got a Trey Turner, if you got, I don't know, maybe go like Raphael Devers plus a little bit, I might do it. Someone along those lines, but if you're contending, but if not, man, I'm just holding him. He's, he's a hold, but yeah. Definitely sad. Uh, prayers for a smooth recovery for you, Mr. Acuna. We'll hope you get back better than ever. Absolutely. How about you, Mr. Dawkins? Any any Acuna shares? And what, what are your thoughts on him, Dynasty? Would you be looking to sell him or just looking to hold him because you know because of the value you might get back? I did. He was my first overall pick in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Believe I followed that up with Luis Castillo and I think Jack Flaherty, if I remember right. So that's going really well so far. <laughs> But yeah, unfortunately, sounds like my team too. <laughs> yeah, there's just boy, yeah, the injuries have been just ridiculous this year. I mean, I've got 50 round draft and whole teams, you know, that I drafted before the season started, and I can't even fill in some of my spots right now because I just have literally like a dozen guys 
that are on the IL right now. I can't even fill in at bats. So, uh, you know, that's just the way that this year has gone. And unfortunately, there's really not a whole lot you can do if you lost Ronald Acuna. You're just not going to be able to recoup that value. And, you know, talking about what you're going to do in Dynasty, obviously, if you have Ronald Acuna, chances are you're competing to a certain extent because just because of the production that he's given you so far. But, yeah, I really – unless – uh, I would have to be really hard up to trade him at all. You know, Chris, like you were saying, maybe if you could get a Trey Turner right now, that's something that you could entertain. But, uh, you know, short of that, one of those really premium alternate uh, dyn- dynasty assets, uh, boy, I just, I'm probably just going to hold on to him and just cry myself to sleep at night. That's <laughs> so all you really can do. Uh, I think that's what Salvador Perez is going to do. Because I just realized Pete Alonso hit 35 Whoa. home runs. Yeah. I just happened to look over at the TV. Yeah. Thir- I saw he was at like 14 when I last glanced over. Now he finished at 35 and Perez is at six with two minutes to go. That's yeah. that's not happening. And Alonso um, finished with an epic fist pump going off the out of the batter's box. So that's pretty great. That's why my polar bear neighbor was just chugging Coca-Colas because that's what he does to celebrate. He's excited. Clearly he's, you know, rooting for the polar bear, Pete Alonzo. So, Oh yeah. They're they're one and the same, right? Have you ever seen Pete Alonzo and your neighbor at the same time? I guess not. (laughs) Something you got to think about there. Maybe your neighbor is Pete Alonzo Hmm. and maybe he, you know, has a winter home up in North Dakota. Why why would you have a winter home in North Dakota? That'd be, (laughs) you you want to sound brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Let me go summer home in North Dakota. That's probably a little better. Yeah, that's um, pretty masochistic, I think. Yeah. I mean, you guys, I remember seeing some of your tweets when, you know, you're on, you're working and it's like negative 20 out with a negative 6,000 wind chill. I'm like, man, you're going to freeze to death out there. It was literally minus 65 one day oh. for a wind, for a wind chill when I was delivering. So it's no oh. joke. Yeah. Like Maine gets, I know Chris like never gets below like 50 in, in South Carolina, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Maine, it gets pretty cold, but like, there's a whole another level of cold out in like the Dakota, like Minnesota area. I, I don't know why, because we're like the same kind of like, you know, what are you, the latitude law, whatever. Same height up in the United States right. up, you know, I don't know why it gets so much colder out in your guys' neck of the woods than it does here in like Maine and New England. But I, I wouldn't want negative 65 wind chill. That is just, I don't want to go outside, stay inside, just keep warm. Mail's got to go, baby. Yeah, I hope your delivery truck has some good heaters. <laughs> uh, good enough anyway i survived it's conversely it's all we've also had several days of 105 degrees above this year so wow. it gets hot here too in the summer yeah that's that's a, the uh one of the things with the north is the temperature swing Jeez. is like 120 degrees like from the coldest weather in the winter to the warmest weather in the summer it's ridiculous it's yeah. sitting here pretty thankful i guess man it's, yeah <laughs> And you think Sacramento gets hot, but like the hottest day we've had this summer is like 87. So it's, it's not been too bad. We hit 95 here a couple of weeks ago in the uh, Portland, Maine area with a heat index of like 105. You just walk outside. It was humid. because You walk outside, you just can't breathe. So, yeah, that's not the weather I like here. But uh, let's get back to baseball here. Get on to some more positive notes here. A couple of interesting MLB promotions over the last week or so. One kind of big name. Another one, a solid prospect. We have Vidal Brujan got called up, then sent back down, then called back up for roster purposes for the Tampa Bay Rays. And then Cal Raleigh out there in Seattle. Nathan, obviously Brujan's the bigger name here. How excited should people be about Vidal Brujan? Yeah, if you did lose Acuna, this is a pretty 
convenient add, you know, to obviously you're not going to, you're just not going to replace Acuna's production, but if you're just looking to recoup some of the stolen base potential, you know, from the, from the other outfield, you know, he's going to see some time at second base as well as the Rays kind of move him around, but uh, he should be a pretty nice source of speed. If nothing else down the stretch remains to be seen exactly how well he'll hit, you know, whether he'll hit the ground running or, you know, kind of, uh, hit some bumps along the way, maybe a little uh, batting average downside. Obviously, you're you're not going to get uh, a 300 hitter right out of the gate or anything like that. But um, yeah, I would definitely be looking to add Bruhan a lot more than Cal Raleigh. I think uh, you know, Cross. As long as you've been podcasting with me, you know how I feel about catchers, <laughs> especially catching prospects. Yep. I just I do not care. <laughs> among the catching prospects, he is more interesting than some but unless you're just looking at a super elite guy you're just looking at another catcher who is probably going to struggle out of the gate as he tries to learn the different pitchers repertoires and you know he's going to split time anyway maybe three ways so i just don't really care about that but yeah bruhan could be a nice source of steals over the second half for those out there nathan is basically like the ricky bobby when it comes to (laughs) fantasy catchers if you're not first you're last like if you're not adley rushman who cares right that's, that's basically as I see the little Baltimore Oriole peeking over your was that your left shoulder there? Yeah, there it is. Little Baltimore Oriole logo on the wall behind you. Uh, Chris, what about Cal Raleigh though? Do you think he has any value this year in redraft leagues or is that I, I don't know? It's like the Luis Torrens has been hitting pretty well of late. That's the problem. I'm a big fan of Cal Raleigh, but they have Luis Torrens and Tom Murphy, not to mention they have like three more on the 40 man. So I don't know if the playing time is going to be there and I. Honestly, I don't think the playing time is going to be there for Bruhan either. Just looking at how they've managed him so far, it's been interesting. And the Rays are going to Ray. So I don't know if he plays enough to be super relevant this year. And, you know, in a redraft league, I don't know if I'm going out of my way to get either of them, honestly. I mean, Bruhan has the upside. So, you know, it may be worth it. And if he gets going, like, you'll probably regret not getting him. But I'm not going to, like, blow a ton of fab on him, which. At this point, you've probably if you haven't picked him up, you probably missed out. But yeah, I don't know. Just not feeling either really for redraft leagues. But you know, for dynasty purposes, I'm a big fan of Riley. I think long term he's he's got plenty of upside and he just doesn't get the love that he deserves in the prospect circles when you know he's put up consistently good numbers, good hit tool, good power. And you know, Bruhan, same thing long term. I think there's with the speed, he's got enough power and you know, great hit tool. So people say you know, it could be Billy Hamilton, but no, he's got way more power than that and a much better hit tool. So not really worried about that. So yeah. long-term love both guys short-term, not really loving them. The Billy Hamilton comp, which I've heard, that's an insult. He is so much like the only thing that's comparable between the two is speed. Sure. He is so much better at the play. And you mentioned the power has ticked up over the last, you know, well, this season really. And that's something I thought could always tick up. Like I saw him out in the Arizona fall league back in 2019 and, you know, I love the swing. It's quick. He can elevate. Like he hit one off the top of the wall in right field and hauled around for a triple. So I always thought there'd be there was more power there. Maybe not like huge power, but like you know, 15, 18 home runs, something like that. Maybe even up near 20, you know, best case scenario, uh, along with that speed, great approach, and the and the contact skills that he has. So yeah, I'm still all in on Bruhan long term, but I just don't see it this season. And like I said, then Fab, you probably took you a, a big chunk of your fab to get him. And I just don't think it's to be worth that. We've seen a lot of, you know, even a lot of the top guys like Wander struggling right now. Kellenic struggled. It's like basically everybody besides jazz Chisholm at the start has pretty much struggled this year for offensive prospects. So 
yeah, not really looking to go after him in a big way. If you, if you can just go pick him up just to see, fine. But yeah, I wouldn't you know, go hog wild to get him on my roster. But a guy I would go a little harder to get, who sounds like uh, there's rumors out there that he's going to be back up shortly after the All-Star break, and I kind of confirmed that with my sources. Jared Kelnick. Dawkins, are you at all worried about how bad – Kelnick was in that first, even though you know the under the hood metrics were, you know, not as terrible. But what are your thoughts on Kelnick for us the season? I'm still in. I mean, yeah, obviously it was an ugly, ugly debut. And as Twitter was quick to point out, there's plenty of prospects who have struggled right out of the gate who have turned out just fine. And a lot of people sort of saw this coming with Kelnick because uh, he can be so aggressive at the plate. And that kind of caught up to him a little bit to begin with. But, you know, once he's back up, he can be a great source of, of power and speed down the stretch. So I would definitely hang on to him, especially if you have to this point. If you're in a shallower league, chances are he was probably dropped. So I would pick him up, you know, like we're saying, if he's back up, you know, shortly after the break. Now is a great time to stash him. He, I mean, he can't be much worse, right? So he should be a lot better. <laughs> You hush. Don't you jinx my boy there. Yeah, no, I, I think that he will be just fine in the long term in Dynasty. I'm I'm holding on, and I think that he'll show a lot better over the second half here. Yep, I 100% agree. Chris, rest of the season, Bruhan, Kelnick, who you got? I think it's Kelnick pretty easily. I mean, you, you look at what he's done. I mean, his MLB stint wasn't great, but I think there's a lot of bad luck swing his way. Last 105 plate appearances down in AAA, hitting 333, seven bombs, four stolen bases. So you like what he's been doing. He's been getting even hotter, you know, even leading up to this break. So I think he's going to be fine. I think he'll come back up, hit the ground running. It takes guys time to adjust. Like not everybody comes up and just mashes game one like Soto and Acuna and Tatis did. So plenty of guys are going to take their time. And, you know, even if he's not elite rest of the season, I think he's – good enough to be a starter on it in a league where you roster five outfielders. So likely he got dropped in your leagues because people, you know, got burned out on pretty quick. Like everybody does with all prospects, prospect fatigue hits real fast. So if he's available, I'd definitely go scoop him up and see what you can do. I think he'll give you some good production rest away. I think prospect fatigue hits quicker and quicker every year too. Like everyone's always like kind of like doubting Kelnick. You're going to doubt, you know, a guy that was, you know, a top three prospect, regardless of where you look after what do you have like 80 something at bats? Like yeah. we're, we're, we're people are way too quick to rush to judgment these days. Like he'll be fine. I don't, I don't see anybody, you know, going to looking at wander, like oh, wanders to be a bus. Like, and wander just hadn't, he, he's been striking out a ton over the last year. He had an over five, four K game. Like when did you ever think that wander Franco would have a four strikeout game? And I think he said two. Since he came up, if I recall, I think he had another one earlier in, in his uh, stint here. But yeah, these guys will be fine. Don't be quick to just write these guys off or drop them down your rankings. They will be just, especially guys like Kelnick and Wanda Franco. Not worried about them at all. Uh, let's get into some more pitching discussion here. Now, obviously, any ranking you see right now is going to have Jacob DeGrom number one. Like, it'd be silly to not have Jacob DeGrom number one. Even in Dynasty, with him being, what, 32, 33, he's still number one by a mile. But tier two has gotten more interesting with some of the you know the Milwaukee guys, Burns and Woodruff, kind of elevating over the last year or two. Garrett Cole's had his kind of struggle since the um, the spider tack you know lockdown, even though he pitched dominant in his last outing. 
Bueller's kind of been up and down this year. So, you know, is, is there a clear cut number two anymore for you, Nathan? Like who's your number two rest of the season in your barometer? There's not uh, a clear cut number two. There's plenty of, there's a whole handful of guys that you could argue should be there at number two. Right now I have Max Scherzer slotted in there, which I, I did not expect coming into the season. I was well off of him uh, when pitchers tend to get toward, you know, they're pushing 35 to 40 years old. I am pretty much just not going to draft them ever, which I missed out on a lot of great Scherzer and Verlander years with that approach. But, you know, I, I'm happy taking uh, or being off these guys a year earlier rather than a year too late. And I was worried about the back with Scherzer, but boy, has he just really been uh, just classic Scherzer so far this year. You know, I think you could argue, argue you Darvish pretty easily as well. Uh, Brandon Woodruff. And I mean, those are the guys that I have following behind him. And then Zach Wheeler right now I have after them too. My God, he has finally had the breakout season that we have all been waiting for. Uh, more off-speed usage there has really been the key. And then I've got Garrett Cole down at number five right now. I think a lot of people would still argue that he should be higher. Maybe some people would argue that he'd be lower. So uh, I have more that I, you know, even within that tier, it goes all the way to, I have like 11 guys really that I have in that kind of ace tour, you know, quote unquote aces in fantasy um, that are kind of a jumbled mess there. You know, Gaussman, Rodana have up there. Burns, obviously, Giolito, Lynn, and even Walker Bueller is kind of towards the end of that tier for me, but he's just been so incredible so far. But uh, where I'm interested to hear where you guys stand on Garrett Cole the rest of the way because I'm it's a little bit of a hedge. I don't think that he's going to be, you know, the like the clear cut number two or anything the rest of the way with uh, his spin rates dropping and he's kind of adapting and he's coming off a great start. So that's promising, but I'm kind of thinking this might be a great time to sell off of that great start. Um, so that's that's my kind of tier two, two guys. So I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, no, I, I I tend to agree with you that I think it's a good time to sell. And when I say that, I'm not like out on Garrett Cole. I think he's, he's right. still going to be very, very good. But maybe he's not number two, number three overall good. Maybe he's more like, you know, in that six, seven, eight range. Before. I think we still have to kind of feel it out here because, like I say, he looked dominant his last start. So I'm willing to give him, you know, rest of the season see how he looks before i make any huge judgments here but i think it's at least open to discussion because i remember like you know before the season whether it's redraft dynasty whatever it was basically like all right here's the top three it's Degrom, it's bieber it's cole now like so we've all these other names that are up in there for both redraft and dynasty purposes like i have both the milwaukee guys uh, i have bieber for dynasty purposes i have bieber as my number two and then i have burns three woodruff four and cole five but at the same time like those two through five is like they're probably six to eight spots apart in my you know my overall ranking so it's like splitting hairs at this point chris i know you mentioned i forget where you mentioned it but i remember you saying this you have woodruff as your number two now for dynasty don't you yeah i mean he's just been so consistent and you know i've had him in that spot a couple weeks and i was gonna like put it publicly on twitter right before his last start like he was cruising through six and they left him in too long he kind of fell out a little bit at the end, but regardless, I mean, you know, he's still been absolutely stellar. And the thing is just the consistency for me, like with Cole, we've seen the inconsistencies now and Woodruff hasn't kind of, he hasn't fallen away in the midst of like the crackdown, all these substances, he's still been good. I mean, the command control is elite. The walk rates are so low. He doesn't allow home runs. The strikeout rate, you know, could be higher. And that's my only hesitation for like fantasy purposes is the strikeout rates, not like super elite, like you'd get with a DeGrom, but still, when you're that consistent and you're putting up 
these good of numbers consistently every start. Like it's hard for me to argue against him, especially with his age. You know, for redraft, I think you could easily make an argument for an older player like Scherzer or Darvish, like we've mentioned. But for Dynasty, you know, Woodruff has the age on his side and the performance. Like he's just so steady year in and year out, and he's gotten better and better and better. And, you know, I like Burns too a lot, but I think there's some inconsistencies with Burns that we're seeing. And even Cole, like Cole has still pitched, I'll say semi well. I mean, He's not been elite the last month. He's had a 3.62 ERA, 108 whip, but where it really gets me is the strikeout numbers. You know, he's only struck out 34 over 32 in a third innings, and strikeouts were a huge part of his game. So he's really lost some of the strikeout stuff with the spin rates dipping a lot. And whether that stays long term or not, I'm not sure. And it's hard to say for sure because we've only had a month of this, you know, substance crackdown. But, you know, Woodruff has stayed consistent, and that's why I've got him number two for dynasty purposes. Yeah, that's fair. I think you can make an argument for any of I think at least four guys, Cole Bieber and the two Milwaukee arms. I don't know if you can make an argument for Bueller at two. Maybe you can. I, I, I won't totally go against that, but I think those are definitely kind of like the clear cut guys. And then you got you gotta mix mix in the older guys like Nathan mentioned, like you Darvish and um Max Scherzer. I think Glasnow might be in that conversation if he didn't get hurt. Um then a couple other guys here that I think could get up into this range. Like I look at, you know, guys that could enter this tier two range, quote unquote, that could be fantasy aces that are already pitching like fantasy aces this year. But the two names that just immediately pop out at me are Freddie Peralta and Trevor Rogers. Dawkin, what do you think of those two? Are you higher in one than the other? And do you think they can be bona fide aces for fantasy long-term? Yeah, I should say that, yeah, the previous list that I gave before was focused on redraft. Uh, otherwise, yeah, right. obviously for Dynasty, I'm not putting Max Scherzer at number two. He'd be way farther down. But, yeah, and I was going to bring that up as well with the Brewers. I mean, how about that rotation moving forward Ooh. with Woodruff and Burns and now Freddie Peralta moving up? He's at 15 just for redraft for me right now this year. And Trevor Rogers, yeah, I think is another guy who could just be a flat-out ace moving forward. I mean, he is solid gold in dynasty leagues moving forward. Um, lots of, I mean, Julio Urias is another guy. Uh, Pablo Lopez, I think it's really overlooked. He's so under, of, I, I said that the other day, like, he is so underrated. Yeah, exactly. He's not flashy, yeah. but he just gets the job done. So yeah, he might, I mean, if, if uh, your local Pablo Lopez owner doesn't really appreciate him, you know, maybe he doesn't maybe go kick the tires and get yourself a potential ace for the future. Yeah, my my home keeper league, we keep ten, and I and we kind of we didn't play last year. We but we kept like the league go. You can still make transactions, but we didn't you know count the season. And I was just getting all these like I picked up Freddie Peralta. I got Corbin Burns early in the season before he like really broke out. I got um uh, who's another? I got Pablo Lopez. I'm like I can't keep all these guys on. Like, can we just turn this full dynasty so I can keep this nasty rotation that I've <laughs> built over the last year? We're like. Peralta's like my five right now, but um, anyway, yeah. Chris, any other names you could think of that could pop up into that tier two? And what are your thoughts on Peralta and uh, Trevor Rogers there? I'm a big fan of both. And, you know, I really thought that Peralta might fall off at this point, but he hasn't. He still performed at a high level. The biggest knock on him is the wall crate, but even still, it's not that bad. Like you can live in that range where he is, I mean, striking out guys at an elite rate. And he's produced. He just keeps producing. And so I'm I think that he could easily bump up into that discussion of being in the at least second tier for Dynasty. 
And especially because he's so young and he's going to continue to build up innings. I think that was the concern this year is that how many innings would he throw? I mean, he's up to 98 so far. Hopefully he has a full second half, but it's hard to know for sure. I can't imagine him pushing 200 innings this year, but if he got to like the 175 range, I think that'd be awesome. And you would be more than thrilled with that production for your fantasy team. So yeah, those are two guys I think can make the jump. And, you know, I don't really see any other names. I think, uh, Julio Urias is a good name. Like you mentioned, I've been a big fan of what he's done and the Dodgers finally kind of letting him go this year and letting him do his thing. And he's performed at that high level, but yeah, I'm I'm not sure I'm willing to go that high on him yet, but he's definitely in that conversation for sure. Yeah. Pablo Lopez is a good one as well. And so a lot of sneaky guys. I'm a, I'm a Trevor Rogers fan as well. He's in a similar boat as Peralta. He just doesn't give me strikeouts. He walks a a good many guys, but Peralta is going to strike out a little more, but Still, it's hard to argue with what they've done so far this season. And 108 sample size is a good sample of innings. So, yeah, I'm a fan of both what they're doing, and I think they're easily top 20 dynasty guys for me right now. Yeah, 100% agree. And real quick, do you think your boy Ian Anderson can get to that kind of level that we're talking about? And I don't think anytime soon. I mean, we got to remember how young he still is. He just turned 23 this year, and I don't think they're ready to let him go. I mean, he got up to 96 innings so far. They kind of shut him down uh, with some – he went down the IL, shoulder soreness, they say. I think it's kind of a way to kind of pull back his innings. The Braves aren't going to be contending, I don't think, now at this point. So I think they're going to really pull back on Anderson, and we're not going to see him have a heavy workload second half, but it may create a good buying opportunity going into next year. Yeah, probably. I don't know. That that NL East is – nobody's running away with that, so – I mean, even with all Atlanta's dealt with this year, losing you know several key players on both pitching and hitting side of things, they're still what only a few games back of. I know mean, is the the Mets are leading that division now, right? I think yeah, they took the lead recently. Pretty much led all year. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe they will, but I like I mean, the, the Braves are only four out, so it's not it's not like they're. I don't right. It's, out out. It, nobody's running away with that with that division. It's like nobody wants to win that division this year. Uh, it seems like, but. uh Moving on here to some more struggling names here. I started with a, f- a few prospects here. And sadly enough, the top three prospects in my preseason prospect rankings, or for pitchers at least, have all struggled this year or, you know, for one reason or another, been hurt, whatever you want to say. Every- everything's kind of gone wrong with these three. Mackenzie Gore, Matt Manning, Nate Pearson. Pearson's currently hurt, groin injury. He's gotten about, I think he just had his 33rd opinion on that groin injury because he didn't like the first 32, which is never a good sign. Uh, Gore is just, I don't know, he's disappeared. I got, uh, I think Prospects Live put up a tweet, like who would you rather have in Dynasty Leagues right now, Mackenzie Gore or Jake Etter, one of the bigger breakout prospects this year for, on the pitching side of things. And it was still Gore, but it was like 56% Gore. Which, who would have thought that? that? It's really close. Who would have it's thought 50, that? Fifty-five to forty-five. Yeah, 50, yeah. I was like, it's still Gore, but barely. Like, who would have thought before the season? You put up a, a poll, that same poll. I don't think anybody's ready for Jake Edder. Even even his own family is like, no, I'll take Mackenzie Gore. That's <laughs> why <laughs> it's like, um, but he has not pitched well. He's the command issues are still there. I don't think he's even pitched lately. Like, I think on my uh, my daily prospect stat updates, whatever you want to call. It, uh, somebody re- uh, replied a couple days ago, like. Does Gore still pitch? I'm like, I don't know. Like, he's just kind of chilling there, not doing much of anything anymore. And then Matt Manning has just kind of regressed. 
Uh, Nathan, do you have any hope, like any one of these three that you're still like more in on than the other two, or are you kind of jumping ship on all three of these guys at this point? Yeah, at this point, I think that Pearson just likes people looking at his groin. That's the only excuse, think, you know, reason that I can think of. <laughs> Why well, did you say that when I was like mid sip? <laughs> I haven't got you in too long, Cross. I gotta make up for lost time, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Matt Manning. I mean, obviously, we knew the stuff is kind of backed up, but he gets to the major league level as well, and. He's pretty much got as many strikeouts as walks so far, and that's really bad. 5.5% swinging strike rate so far. It's just not happening. So, I mean, you got to jump ship there and redraft at least. You just hold and cry, I suppose, in Dynasty. But obviously, uh, Gore and Manning in particular have lost a lot of their value. Pearson, you know, is, is probably you're, – you're weeping the fewest tears i think if you have pearson just because at least the missed time has been due to injury but we also saw his control has kind of backed up a little bit as well so that's kind of some concerns there uh yeah it's just you know with mackenzie gore there's reports of he had the yips as well which is just kind of like at a certain point you know that it's gotten into their psyche and that's additionally making things worse you know we had the 2020 off uh, a season pretty much off for the minor leagues and some guys have come back and they've taken huge leaps ahead and then there's guys like you know Mackenzie Gore and Matt Manning where it's like what the hell what happened to these guys and yep it's just really you're not you can't really sell them now either because they're not worth anything so you just got to kind of hold on to them be patient as long as you're in a deeper dynasty keeper league um, but that's really all that you can do with these guys right now yeah I mean it's tough because I still want to buy in on these guys and like Gore just having taken the reins from Forrest Whitley, who's fallen off and is now on, you know, under, went under the knife again. He'll be out for another year or so. It's like adding to that tin staff. It's like with the, the mm. two biggest pitching prospects of the last like four or five years have both just completely fallen on their face before they even get to the major leagues. It's just, it makes you even that much more kind of hesitant to invest heavily in pitching prospects. I know there's a lot out there. I'm not like, you know, opposed to, you know, investing in pitching prospects and dynasty, even though I do go for hitters more than pitchers, obviously, but you get those out that they're already beating that tin stap drum. And now it's that, that drum beat is getting even louder, but uh, Chris, any one of these three that you're more or, or less worried about? Not really. I mean, like, like y'all said, you can't sell them at this point in dynasty. You're not going to get anything. I just, rather hold them and hope they recoup their value some and you know gore's been atrocious uh, there's nothing else to say I, i've been worried about pearson as a bullpen arm for a little while now and yeah you know, i'm just even more worried now and manning just doesn't have it you know i think pearson could be super elite closer like i really do he's got the stuff to just be a top closer in the game yeah you know, gore gore doesn't even look to have that stuff anymore like at one point gore had like the the best four pitch mix in the minors and you know, the 70 grade command, he doesn't have that anymore. And I don't know. And I think Dawkins brought up a good point with the mental aspect of the game beyond their pitching ability, just mentally struggling with that is a big thing. And I think, you know, the struggles were documented last year with Gore at the alt site. They never brought him up. Everybody was questioning and wondering why he wasn't coming up when the Padres desperately needed a rotation help and they never brought him up. And you, you know, that factors in, and then this year he comes in, he struggles in the spring, he struggles in triple a. And I, I know it's in his head. Like it has to be in his head and deep down somewhere. Like there's still that pitcher that we once saw as the top pitching prospect in the game. Unfortunately though, for 
dynasty purposes, his value is tanked. Like I said, I think you just have to hold on tight and hope he recoups it. And unless you're in a super shallow league where you only roster like 50 prospects, and at that point, I'd move on. So you don't think he's a top 50 overall prospect anymore? For, no. For- he he. When when I update, I think he's going to be like in my like eighty to hundred range. Honestly, that's fair. I think I have him in the sixties right now, but it's con- consistently trending yeah, the wrong way, skiing down that slope. And Manning, too, you know, Manning just has regressed. That changeups regressed. The commands regressed. It's like it's where he was when he was in like high A. It's like back to like all right, you know, good fastball, good curveball, but that's about it now. Maybe he moves to be in my top one hundred. I don't think he's top 100 anymore. Yeah, I don't remember where I have him, but he, he's even lower for me than than Gore is. So, yeah, definitely these guys are falling hard. I'm still laying the most in on Pearson. Like I've always been a big Pearson guy. Everyone knows that. And this is, I think there's so many paths to, like you mentioned, Chris, he could be an elite closer. With that triple-digit heat, that 70-grade wipeout slider that he has, you know, I think he could be, like, a top 100 draft pick just as on that. He could be like a righty Josh Hader. I think he could be that good with that two pitch mix. And I still think there's, and I'd still say it's like 60, 40. He's a starter. I think Toronto wants him to be a starter. Like they really could use him like panning out and being like, you know, a top of the rotation type of guy. They really need that type of guy in that rotation. So I think they're going to give him every opportunity to still be a starter long-term, but yeah, between the inconsistent command he's had, you know, just the injuries off and on. And there's never been any like huge major injuries, but he's always seems to be dinged up or dealing with something like we mentioned the groin right now. So I am worried about him, but I think I'm the least worried about him and the most worried about Gore because at least Manning's still kind of pitching okay at times. Gore hasn't pitched well in like three years at this point. Like he even when he had that, you know, five or six starts at double A and 2019, he wasn't he was like mid four ERA then. So he hasn't been good since he was in low and in, in high A, excuse me. So I'm pretty worried about Mackenzie Gore. So, here. so conversely, if you are not doing well this year in your dynasty league, which, if any of these guys, would you be throwing out low ball offers for? If you just got, you know, you got a bench spot to, you know, grab one of these guys, maybe they get back on the right course. I think for me, it would be Nate Pearson. I'm more Agreed. on cross the side um, in terms of being optimistic with Pearson, but any of the three, would you guys be interested in that? Maybe, definitely, definitely, uh, Pearson. Maybe Gore, if the if the price was like dirt cheap, like if I could give up like a prospect outside my top one fifty or like a low end regular, like to a, maybe a, a contending team has Gore, they need some like a low end pitcher or something, someone that I won't, you know, kick myself for trading, maybe just to see if Gore can write the ship, but I don't even know about Manning at this point. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? I'm not touching Manning. I'm still in on Pearson from the standpoint of, I think he'll be good one way or the other, whether he's a starter or Mm. reliever. Mm. I'm not worried about that. Honestly, I think Gore may have the best price point right now because you think think so. Yeah. If you own the top pitching prospect in baseball for the last three years, and then he's done this, you know that you've completely soured on him when you've expected him to be up. You, I mean, he was supposed to be up last year and performing for your team. He hasn't given you anything for two years, and he's just been absolutely terrible. I think that the, the owner in your dynasty league of Mackenzie Gore may just be so soured on him that you can get him for virtually nothing. And I'm not going to say yep. nothing, but it, you could get him for like a top 150 prospect, and I'd do that, I think. I, I'm willing to take the chance on that upside. Yep. 
100% agree there. So I think we're all seem to be kind of out on Manning at this point, or at least one foot out the door. I, I'd say I'm one foot out the door, Manning. I, I still like the guy. I guess I saw him pitch a couple of times in, in double ice. And I still think he's got a good fastball curveball combo, but he's got to really improve the rest of his rest of his game, or he's going to be probably a bullpen arm too. Um, that's going to wrap up our prospect talk here. We have plenty of major league guys, but we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, come back on the other side and talk about those guys. So don't go anywhere. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break here. We got Nathan Dawkin, Dirty Dawkin with us of the former Nasty Cast and Fantrex Dynasty fame and many other things that he's famous for. Um, but I'll let him... Nathan, what else are you famous for? There's going to be a lot of things you're famous for. What are some uh, of those? Infamous, perhaps. Um, <laughs> I'm not super famous, believe it or not. I think a lot of people tend to bring up my uh, failed attempts at eating a five-pound burrito. <laughs> here in bismarck on Cinco de mayo i got real close i just had a little tortilla left but yeah you only had a half hour to eat it and it was just too chewy so that's one of my great failures in life quite frankly so you're saying you could probably hold your own in a burrito eating contest if there was one well there probably is one somewhere like <laughs> major majorly uh, eating they have like everything nowadays i mean yeah i'm no joy chestnut or anything i guess if i dunk that tortilla in water like he does with the hot dog buns <laughs> maybe that would it would have been disgusting like tortilla paste and you know, I might have yacked because it was so gross, but maybe I would have got it down if I had done something like that. It needs some more ingenuity in my game, I guess. <laughs> I will say, though, it's nasty. We One of my home leagues, we determined draft order this year. We had to eat two hot dogs with buns and a 16-ounce glass of a beer of our choice. And I was like, you know, let's go Joy Chester side. Let's dunk the buns in the beer what do they have for beer <laughs> algash white it's a well, mains it's a it's a white wheat ale um kind of easy going ale I was like, let's go with the easy one and the soggy beer bread it was oh, just yeah. this it was just the nastiest <laughs> thing like i would not recommend that unless you're trying to go out there and beat joey chestnut that was just absolutely nasty but Ugh, I don't want to relive that. So let's get, let's get back <laughs> into baseball talk here. A lot of uh, intriguing pitcher names that we kind of were hoping would anchor our, you know, whether redraft or dynasty rotations this year have really struggled. Uh, first name I want to talk about here, Lucas Giolito. And he hasn't like really, I, I don't know if struggle is the right term with him. He's still pitching. Okay. But okay, ain't gonna cut it when you were drafting him. I saw him go with some as the number four pitcher in some drafts. He was going tail into the first, early second round, and a lot of NFBC 15 teamers. But he struggled to the tune of a 4.15 ERA, 117 whip, and 125 strikeouts in 104 innings. So, still, you know, decent season, but he's kind of fallen off here. And he's one of the guys that's been affected by the, the, uh, Spider tack crackdown here, it looks like. So, you know, Chris, where do you how do you value Lucas Gilio going forward? Is he still in that second tier? Because when we were talking about that tier earlier, I don't think any of us brought up 
Giolito, if I recall. Is he still in that second tier for you, or is he kind of dropped onto that third tier? Yeah, it's hard to say for sure. I mean, he hasn't been great this year at all, and then he's kind of even not been good since the crackdown, and I don't know which direction he's going to end up going. I mean, the last month he's got a 5.08 ERA, 134 whip, 29 Ks, 28 innings. Not great there. I mean, that's definitely not the guy that I drafted 16th overall in TGFBI when I started my at the turn with Nola and Giolito that's been killing me. But, <laughs> you know, I'm not bitter or anything. No, not at all. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that maybe – and it makes you wonder, like, was his breakout due to substance? And uh, we have to wonder this with all of these guys now. And, you know, he was an elite prospect at one point, like one of the best in baseball. We, you know, we assume that he finally – got on track and started going, but yeah, it's just, he just hasn't really had it this year in my opinion. And I don't know. I I think he can be fine. I think he's going to be a serviceable starter like second half, but I don't know if I'm ready to put him in like that elite tier or even the second tier. I think he's like maybe like in the SP 15 to 20 range, but for me, like I don't want that like in the second tier. Yeah. I I tend to agree. Nathan, what about you? Is that you look at his, G little savant page and there's not like a lot of major red flags this is like a little bit regression here and there like his xera is still 3.56 you know the walk rate is actually improved from last year k rate is down about four and a half percent but it's not a lot of like red flags here so how worried are you about g little moving forward uh i guess i'm a lot more optimistic than either of you two i pulled up different splits as you as well uh, because since May 19th, Giolito has a 361 ERA over 10 games, 62 and a third innings, 10.8 K per nine, 2.2 walk per nine, uh, 361 FIP as well. So that's not like ace ace numbers, but uh, it's still, you know, pretty damn good. So I guess I'm not too concerned about him. Obviously, he hasn't been exactly like the Uber ace that you expected, but obviously, you know, that. Uh, one start against Boston that day where he had to get up early and I guess he was cranky. He's not a morning guy, gave up uh, eight runs in an inning uh, and just uh, went back to bed. Presumably, you know, that's really affecting his, his season long line. So I think that he'll be just fine moving forward. You know, not, not necessarily an Uber ace, but a really solid, you know, fantasy SP two in terms of dynasty. I'm not really worried either. Still just 26 years old. So, um, I mean, yeah, if I, it sounds like maybe there's a potential buying, opportunity still on Lucas Giolito and if that's the case I would be all over it yeah that's just just what to ask you like so you you have him as an SP high on SP2 now moving forward as opposed to an ace or do you think you think there's a chance he can get back to that ace level yeah I, I mean I actually have him if I could pull up my I believe I still have him in my redraft top 10 if I can bring up my list here yes he is yeah he's SP9 for me right now of course, that is also factoring in, uh, you know, I, I've got people are going to yell at me for this probably, but I've got Corbin Burns behind him, but that's just redraft, not dynasty, because I think there's going to be some innings concerns there for Corbin Burns, whereas Giolito is going to be a horse for you, you know, putting up yep. a lot of innings uh, over the second half. So that's why if we're splitting hairs between those two, that's why I'd have that there. So, yeah, I've, I've still got him in my top 10. Technically, I guess that's a fantasy ace. So, uh, yeah, I'm still in on Giolito. I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, I'm still in. Maybe I think I've dropped him a little bit down my rankings, but I, I think he's still, for dynasty purposes, he's still a an ace because there's a lot of guys in this range that have struggled. You know, like and even including the next guy we're talking about here, Aaron Nola. So I, I might have dropped him down, like a, you know, one or two spots in my dynasty pitcher rankings, but 
I think he's still back end top 10 for me. He's still striking out uh, 29.4. That's, you know, that's still a very good rig. I mentioned the walk rate has improved. X ERA is better um, than his surface ERA. Still getting plenty of whiffs on both his breaking ball is above 40%, including the curveball. Uh, 53.8, although he doesn't throw that too often. He's more, more, more of the slider. But even this changeup's got a 36.5% uh, whiff rate on it. So still, I'm still confident that he can turn it around and be like a back-end ace here. Um, so I'm not I'm not totally, you know, running for the hills or anything with him. Uh, and Aaron Nola, you know, Chris, I'll go to you here. Uh, Aaron Nola has been even worse this year. 453 ERA, 121 whip. But at the same time, best walk rate of his career. Uh, still striking out a good amount of batters as well. Strikeout rate is right below 30%, right in the same range as Lucas Giolito. So I guess which one of you, uh, these two, are you more concerned about moving forward here, Nola or Giolito? Probably Giolito. I'm I'm honestly not worried about Nola at all. I think he's had a bad, a, a lot of bad luck swing his way. I mean, you look at his BABIP of 331. I mean, there's that means it signals a lot of bad luck to me. And he's got, I mean, a Sierra 326, FIP 346. Like you mentioned, the walk rate's the best of his career. The strikeout rate is one of the better ones of his career at 29.5%. I'm just not that worried about him. And you look, and he's kind of changed his pitch mix a little bit this year. He's using the four-seam a lot more, and it's kind of been variable game-to-game. Like, And especially early in the season, you look at the game-by-game uh, pitch mix chart, and it's just all over the board, like using a variety of stuff differently every game. And he seems to kind of be settling in now consistently using the, the four seam the most around 40% and then the curveball and then the changeup. So I think he's kind of getting in that rhythm and I think he's going to have a great second half. I'm, I'm not worried about him at all. And like I said, if you can buy him low, then I certainly would not buy Giolito at the right price too. But yeah, you know, I think, I think Nola has the better second half. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I've always been a Nola guy and he's been like kind of Mr. Consistency, right? Like never really, He's not, not the flashiest guy around. Doesn't have like the elite strikeout numbers, even though the K rate has been pretty good over the last few years here. But he's always been the guy that's in like that seven to ten range, whether re- redraft or dynasty. Um, so I'm still in in on Aaron Nola. I'm still in on both these guys. Um, one thing that you mentioned the the pitch mix change, it's kind of odd, right? Like I always you know always try to get better. You know, even if you're you know one of the best pitchers in the game, you always try to get better. But at the same time, like why make like this pretty big pitch mix change when the you know kind of the usage rates you've been using have worked for you? Like in 2020, he had all four of his offerings were between like 21 to 27 and a half percent usage. Now all of a sudden the four seamer, he's basically uh, added about 14 percent usage rate. It's kind of just been like a, you know the sinker's gone down. Um, I just don't know why you go with that kind of a big pitch mix change when it was working for you. And he's been, you know, in 2020, 3.28 ERA, 107 whip, seventh in the Cy Young voting, you know, arguably the best year of his career outside of 2018, his career year in 2018, when he had 237 ERA and kind of put himself on the ACE map. So it's kind of odd that he's gone under this pitch mix change, but I'm not too worried about either of these guys moving forward. So if you can buy low on either of these guys in dynasty moving forward, I would, but one uh, I am concerned about, Blake Snell. He has, he's not been good, but at the same time, I'm not overly surprised. I was, I always kind of was waiting for the other shooter drop with Blake Snell. I'm like, all right, he's, he's talented. He's a talented arm. But I always just felt like he was just like dancing with danger every time he's out there. Like he was just going to implode at any second. And this year, he finally has 
499 ERA through his first 16 starts, which spans 70 and a third innings, which, which is another issue. He's only averaging like four and a half innings per start. Uh, whip is 155. Like he is, if he wasn't striking out as many guys as he is, I'd say he's not even worth rostering. And obviously, yes, still in Dynasty, he is. But in redraft leagues, like he's doing more damage to you than he is good here. Um, and he hasn't really been like he had that 189 ERA in 2018, but since then, 429, 324, albeit in only 50 innings, now 499. So he's been more kind of like this type of guy than he has been like the ace that we saw in 2018. So, uh, Nathan, how word, you know, where do you where do you stand on, on Snell moving forward here? Are you kind of out on him or do you think he can rebound? I've kind of always been out on Snell. I don't know that I've ever really drafted him uh, much at all because he always goes for that kind of borderline ace or SP2 fantasy price, and he just does not put up a ton of innings outside of you know 2018. He threw 180.2 innings. Other than that, he, he has not been anywhere near that 107 innings in 2019. You know, I, I want if I'm going to spend an early draft pick on one of these quote-unquote fantasy aces, one of these frontline guys, I want a ton of innings out of him. Blake Snell just has never done that, and his walk rate has never been great either, and it's backed up even worse on him this year, and there's a ton, you know, that's gone wrong. Like, you know, like you said, he's it's barely over four innings to start right now. Uh, walk rate is just through the roof right now, 5.63 walks per nine, and his he's getting barreled up hard too, 11.1% barrel right this year. I believe his ex Wobicon is the worst in baseball at 459. So he's just getting absolutely crushed. He's not fooling anybody. His O swing is way down from 35.5% to 27.8%. Extension is down across the board. Like everything is just going wrong with Blake Snell right now. And I don't think that, I mean, what's he going to bounce back to what, what we've seen before, I suppose, you know, the, the, the walk rates are always there, but you know, the, or the strikeout rates rather are always there, but the walk rates are always too high. And I just, you know, he's not a, a huge durable guy who puts up a ton of innings. So, I mean, if you have him, you probably just hold on to him. You don't want to sell him now. But if I'm, you know, we're talking about some of these other buy low guys like Aaron Nola, I would definitely buy low uh, in Dynasty right now. Blake Snell, I'll pass. Chris, you kind of in that same line of thinking? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, he's just, he, he was never an ace in my opinion. That I mean, he had the great Cy Young season, but other than that, I've never been a big fan of him. Like you said, I mean, he's averaging like 4.2 innings a start this year. Like, that's just not okay. It's not sustainable for your fantasy team. He's hurting you. So, no, I'm not looking to buy. If I own him in Dynasty, I'd probably try to sell and see what you got. Like, I'd just take, honestly, like cents on the dollar because I don't think he's going to be worth a whole lot going forward. Yeah, and when the Rays trade away a pitcher, we should probably listen. Because the Rays have had, you know, arguably the best track record with you know, it's them, Cleveland, and the Dodgers track record with with uh, developing pitching, and so they know what they're doing when it comes to the pitching side of things. And when they traded him to San Diego, that sh- that sh- should have probably kind of set off more red flags and more warning bells in their minds, and than it probably did. So yeah, I- I'm out on Blake Snell too. He, he kind of his career path kind of reminds me of like Robbie Ray, where. You know, he was always a big strikeout guy, you know, the control command issues, but you know, had some pretty good seasons in earlier on in his career. Now he's kind of going where Ruby Ray was like a year or two ago. So maybe he turns it around like Ray does. I don't I, you know, I didn't think Ruby Ray would have a turn it around like he has this year and turn to a totally different pitcher that actually somehow has much better control all of a sudden. 
Uh, I, I don't think Blake Snell is going to do that because, you know, like I said, his pitch mix, you know, he's got the good breaking balls. Like those have always been, even this year, you know, the slider and the curveball are both very good with rate above 40%. Uh, percent. You know, X is a uh, batting average against on both pitches under 200, but the fastball has been getting hit hard uh, this year, 286 batting average against last year, 326. The changeup is just not good. Three, 389 batting average against on the changeup. That's even the XBA is 332. That's not good. And last year it was better, 259. But um, so it's really this like, he's got good breaking balls, and that's about it. He's getting hit hard, you know, across the board, like Nathan mentioned. So yeah, I'm. I wouldn't be buying Blake Snell right now because I think the asking price will probably still be too high for my liking here. So I'd, I'd let somebody else buy low on Blake Snell. Uh, but going back to the Atlanta Braves here, a couple of their young arms that have both, you know, Soroka and Max Freed have been kind of trending down for different reasons. Freed more so performance based. Soroka had just injured, uh, re-injured his Achilles toward again walking which is like he's walking. He should be fine, but no, re tears the Achilles. Achilles injuries always worry me. I just seen, you know, you know, more so basketball, uh, Kobe Bryant back in like 2015, whatever, uh, Kevin Durant, just how this type of injury can just, the, the re injury rate seems to be a lot higher. And it's just a very, very severe injury. I think more severe than people realize. Uh, so Chris, I'll go to you being our, our resident Braves fan here. He's giving me the thumbs down. What are your thoughts on these two right now, Chris? How do you feel? I mean, it's frustrating. Like, you know, for Soroka, especially such a a promising young arm, you know, he never really had the strikeout rates to be a high-end fantasy starter. But when when I saw Soroka, I saw a lot of young Aaron Nola. When you look at the pitch mix, you know, pretty sinker heavy, pitching to contact and pitching well to contact. And, you know, eventually is – Nola moved out of the sinker usage. And, you know, we mentioned a minute ago, he's even using even less this year. The strikeout rates went up and I honestly saw that coming with Soroka. I really did. He had good command and control, but unfortunately, you know, this puts a huge damper on it. We didn't see him pitch this year. He obviously just got, you know, half of the two month season last year before he went down and who knows how he'll be moving forward. And that's honestly, my concern is that he's never the same guy. And I can't remember if it's the, the plant i think it's the plant foot that he tore it in is that correct i thought it was just wait a minute yeah i think it is the plant foot yeah i think you're right either way i don't think it's good to... yeah it's not, <laughs> it's mean, not good either you're, way whether you're pushing off the rubber or planting like it, it's still not good and obviously i don't know if it was just a bad surgery or what but how you pop it just walking is kind of baffling to me but you know i don't know if he'll be ready to begin next season his dynasty value is pretty tanked at this point. I still think he, he can have a great career, but I just wonder like how much this actually affects him. I really do. And I'm concerned. I would say I'm very concerned moving forward. Still young, just 23 years old, but, but still, I mean, it's just, it's tough to see. And with freed, I, I think you, you know, freed overperformed last year. And I think that there was definitely regression coming. I didn't think to this extent, but here we are, and Freed, again, is not a big strikeout guy either. He's, his walk rate's actually down this year. And, you know, Freed actually does a good job of limiting hard contact. Like, he's always been really good at, at keeping the ball down on the ground and and not allowing hard hits, and that's what he excels at. But this year, something's gone wrong, and he's just got – I mean, he hasn't really gotten hit much harder 
a little, I mean, definitely harder than last year. Cause I mean, he was top of the league in exit velocity and, and barrel rate last year, but you know, he's just not performing at the level that he was. I still think he can be solid. I think that, you know, people drafting him like in the 60 range this year for redraft, that was way too high, but I think it just comes down to really his fastballs. What I've seen this year is just fastballs just gotten hit. You know, last year had a 198 batting average against this year, 341 batting average against, and the XBA doesn't look any better at 324. So, you know, it's certainly concerning things there. And I still think Freed can be solid moving forward for dynasty purposes. Like I think that he, maybe he could be, you know, an SP four, but I don't think he's going to be an SP two. Like people were drafting him to be this year. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. You know, I think Freed, we just overvalued Freed, uh, I think we've overvalued Soroka too. I don't know. I, I go back and forth as to who I'm higher on long term. I think I'm I'm still higher on Freed because he's not dealing with all these these Achilles injuries. I think he has more strikeout potential, albeit not much more. He's like he's a, a big strikeout guy. But I was wondering if Soroka will hit that next level. But I don't know. I said the same thing about Dustin May and Dustin May before he went on the shelf uh, this year had you know altered his pitch mix. Though I do think May has better stuff than Soroka, so you know. I was more confident with May making that uptick in K rate than Soroka, but I think I would rather have Freed moving forward, and I'd rather buy Freed right now than Soroka. Though I'm not opposed to buying Soroka just because I think the price is pretty low right now, just because just got injured yet again. So I think you can get him for a pretty good discount right now. Uh, Nathan, what are your thoughts? Are, are you higher on one of these two guys than the other, or are you pretty worried about both? Oh, yeah, it's easily freed that I'd be higher on in terms of dynasty. I don't know. You know, I don't think the track record is too great for pitchers coming back from an Achilles surgery, never mind two back-to-back Achilles surgeries. Uh, so I think especially considering Soroka has such a low strikeout floor, I just really am not interested in buying low. And I actually tweeted about that too because I am I thought it was really weird when I saw the report on that injury. Like he was just walking to the complex and it just popped. And so I believe it was Dr. Jesse Morris that's on uh, Twitter. He replied to that tweet and said that he probably just was taking out of his walking boot a little bit too early. He hadn't fully healed and that's it just happens like that. Um, so it's very unfortunate that he has to go back and do the whole rigmarole again and hopefully he comes back okay. But certainly have much more confidence in Max Freed moving forward. You know, Chris, I think you nailed it with uh, the fastball production. He's just not locating it very well this year. If you compare even his heat maps just from last year to this year, he's catching way too much of the zone with that fastball. Uh, Probably would be better off getting it up a little bit more and hopefully getting better results that way. So I think that Freed is probably in store for a little bit of a better half if he can do that, although um, the curveball is down in terms of spin rate a little bit, so that might be, uh, you know, a strike against him a little bit, but yeah, definitely more optimistic on Freed moving forward in Dynasty. Yeah, and you know, Freed's never been a guy that has like the great fastball. It was like a, it was a solid fastball, but everyone kind of looked to his curveball more. In fact, that uh, both those pitches are kind of down in terms of effectiveness this year. That definitely is concerning. But yeah, I, I definitely agree that he is the more you know intriguing option moving forward here. But I, I do have a fair amount of concern about both. So. I wouldn't go out there, you know, and over, you know, pay close to, you know, eighty cent or even eighty or ninety cents on the dollar for either. I'd want a, definitely a good, good discount on both, especially Soroka. But um, st- still, you know, pretty confident they can be pretty solid long term. I know, Chris, you got you really hope they're <laughs> at least one of these two guys can turn it around for, just for your Braves, you know, not even fantasy, just for your Braves purposes. You need one of these guys to come back and be good. 
Yeah, they certainly do because they can't afford for <laughs> one Soroka not to pitch ever again and free to not pitch well. You know, they, they need one of them to perform well and hope that Anderson keeps pitching well and House Guardian Noah comes back and all these guys are injured. I mean, the Braves are like, I mean, I know every team's injured, but dang, the Braves have been really beat up. So, range yeah. over. <laughs> it's been a rough year for the Braves. And let's go up to Dawkins' neck in the woods now. Uh, the Twins have had a rough year as well. A lot of injuries, a lot of poor performance, including this guy, Kenta Maeda. Dawkins, what are your thoughts on Maeda? Did he just way overperform last year? That's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, he's been mostly the, the you know, the four seam split slider mix, a couple of the pitch pitches he makes in a little bit as well, but all three of those are way down in the fact of this, this year. So is it the fact that he just had that career year and we overvalued him this year? Or do you, or do you think there's a good chance he can bounce back? Maybe not to last year's level, but you know, it bounced back to be like, I don't know, maybe an SP three. You think that's possible moving forward? I do. Um, it's kind. Of, it is kind of strange that you know he he had that obviously a Cy, Cy Young caliber year last year, and I attributed a lot of that to the Twins pitching coach Wes Johnson, who's done an incredible job uh, really across the board with a lot of Twins pitchers. I don't know if you remember them, you know, getting Martin Perez from like the literal scrap heap and making him a decent like SB three right. for for half the season a couple of years ago. But it's just kind of baffling how. Across the board, all of the Twins pitchers have just pretty much sucked this year. <laughs> so, uh, so it has not been great. But, you know, the velo's down a little bit for Maeda, and it was definitely uh, the changeup. He just was not able to locate it. Uh, it, uh, it has been looking a little bit better for him recently. Uh, if you look at his last start, actually his last two starts, he's got 11 combined shutout innings, just four total hits, 17 strikeouts to three walks. So just the surface numbers are very promising moving forward. And that last start, especially 45% CSW on a slider and 38% on that changeup. So that is at least very encouraging. Uh, granted, I think those, you know, those, those are against, I think the Tigers and the Royals. So not exactly, <laughs> you know, facing the Astros every time out there, but guess what? He's going to face those lineups a lot over the second half. Yep. So I think the better days are ahead for Kenta Maeda. Um, he is, Keeping up my rankings again for redraft, I have him. He's moved up just outside the top 40, 42 for me right now. So I think that he still represents a pretty solid buy low. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. I, I don't think he's this bad. I don't think he's 2020 good, but I think somewhere's in the middle. Uh, as you look, he, he's still, you know, got a, a decent walk rate, 7.8%, you know, which is kind of in line as where it was before 2020. Like he was, you know, 6 1, 8 1, 8 2. Then just dropped to four percent last year. So maybe it was a little bit of the small sample size. Maybe you know he would have you know these some of these numbers would have corrected if there was a full one sixty two. Who knows? We can play that what if game all day. But you know, so I don't think he's twenty eight point three percent K minus walk rate good. But I think he can still be. I, I think that's a good range where you have him like in the forties, still like a back end top fifty guy. You know, but the K rate going down is a little worrisome. I think he's gonna have to. You know, if that K rate is going to stay down at 24%, which is around league average, I mean, that's not terrible for where you know, you're valuing him at this point, but he's going to need to get those ratios down. But like you mentioned, last two starts have looked good. So maybe this is a sign of things to come. I don't know. Chris, where, where are you at on Kentamaeda? Yeah, I think uh, Dawkins said it pretty well there. I mean, think that he has a stronger second half. I don't think he's anywhere near 2020 level again. Like, just not going to happen. But I do think he can be solid moving forward. And you mentioned that last start was. 
very positive sign for him getting back on track. And, you know, I, I don't see any reason why he can't be really good for you moving forward. Like you mentioned, I think he can be a top 30 pitcher second half and maybe even better than that because we know what he's capable of. I'm not really sure what was causing him to perform so poorly this first half, but I, I do think there's a chance that he bounces back and is really solid. And for Dynasty, man, if you're contending like and you need a SP, I know he's 33, but I think you can get him so cheap at this point. Like He may be worth picking up and running with, especially if you need an arm down the stretch to continue your league. You know, Go for it. I think he'll be really solid for you. There's a lot of tread left on those tires, too. Yeah, based on you know his limited innings. Yep, Dodgers <laughs> never ran him in the dirt, so then <laughs> they don't usually. Um, yeah, and that's something I've always said too. Like, look more so at mileage than the age, because like I remember putting out that tweet where you know at the, at the same age, Felix Hernandez had pitched like a thousand more innings than Jacob Degrom or something ridiculous, because <laughs> uh, you know Fe- Seattle did run Felix into the ground starting at the age of nineteen. And the Grom only has like what 1300 innings on his arm right now at the age of 32. So, um, you don't necessarily look at these guys' ages and just think that, oh, you know, he's 34, he's gonna go down. No, that's not look at the mileage. Um, real quick, both of you long term, Kenta Maeda or Blake Snell. If you had a dynasty startup draft right now, who are you taking first? Oh, out those two? <laughs> uh, neither. Oh, that's a <laughs> brutal question. Jeez, because it. Obviously, the youth is on the side of Snell, so you would hope that he, you know, could make some adjustments. And oh man, yeah, if I, I, at the same time, I'm more confident in Maeda, though. Like, yeah, age, but wow. I, I normally draft to win now in Dynasty, so I take Maeda. Yeah, that that was my thought too. If I if my window of contention is within the next three years, then I'm going Maeda. If I'm looking more of a rebuild, then I'm going with Snell. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely fair. But yeah, I'm not sure if I want to, I won't be going out of my way to target either one of those guys either right now, um, unless they fell, which is always possible. Uh, a couple of young, speaking of younger arms here, uh, we had Jesus Lazardo on the list here. And I want to add Sixto Sanchez into this as well. They're both, both the same age, kind of same skill level, I think, kind of same range and rankings for the most part. But Lazardo has not been good this year. He was hurt a little bit. They had him out of the bullpen for a little bit. Now he's back down in AAA. Sixto kind of went missing for a while. You'd get like this vague r- report. He was like fantasy baseball's Bigfoot this year. Like you get this vague report every three weeks. So he's like throwing from 80 feet or throwing from 110 feet. And Bigfoot then they- is my neighbor to the north. So yeah, <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of Dawkins neighbors here uh, on, on the tool shed tonight. Um, but yeah. And now we get the, you know, the report like what a week ago that he's out for the rest of the year. You know, that shoulder injury just is not getting better. Is there, what's your guys' level of concern about both these guys? And, you know, I, obviously they're very, very talented arms. Both, you know, we're top five pitching prospects. Sixto still was and maybe still is, you know, depending on you know how you feel about them. But they're both kind of pretty concerning for me moving forward here. But, uh, Dawkins, who do you who do you like more moving forward? Who are you less concerned about, Lazardo or Sixto Sanchez? Oof, yeah, that's that's tough. It's like, you know, do you want to put your toe into a salad shooter or a meat grinder? I don't know. Like, it's, it's pretty da- <laughs> either either way is pretty dangerous. I guess if I had to choose between the two, I would just go with Lizardo because I don't know. I, I always love me a lefty, and we've I think you've seen a little bit more success at the big league level. I guess that's really debatable. I don't know what you consider success. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I yeah. So I, I just really. 
Obviously, they both dealt with so many injuries. It's hard to pick one or the other at this stage of their career. Both still very young, of course, but I feel a little bit more confident in Jesus Lazardo's health moving forward, although I would say that he's probably more likely to get pushed to the pen. So, you know, I, I don't have any shares of either of these guys uh, because of sort of their minor league injury track records. But, you know, if I was pressed to pick one, I guess I would go with Lazardo. I think I might actually go six still here. I still like both of them, but, and I do agree that I think Lazardo is a bit safer due to the health uh, of both these guys. Obviously, Sixto out, out with injury right now, but I do like Sixto's stuff a good amount more. Like you've seen, even though Lazardo has the velocity, you know, average 96 miles an hour on that four seamer from the left side, you know, it gets hit pretty hard. This, you know, this year, 452 X Woba. 7.16x slug, and actually the actual metric, 7.84 actual slug. Um, still, you know, the, the curveball has been has been pretty good, but the changeup has not been good. The sinker has not been good, though a little better than the four-seamer. But I love Sixto's arsenal. I really do. And I think he's a guy that is going to have the K rate tick up. I've always kind of thought it was odd that a guy with three-plus pitches, fastball slider changeup, and you know, pretty solid command and control that he's shown throughout his professional career – was never a big strikeout guy, but I do think that ticks up. It's only a matter of time with the wipeout slider that he has, the good changeup, the elite fastball. I think he's going to have like that Dustin May type transformation at some point. So I'll go Sixto here, though I'm still in on Lizardo, but I don't know. He just looks like he's kind of regressed since his rookie year, and the cave rate has been kind of meh, 23 and a half, 24%, had a middle of the road cave rate. Um, not really what we thought Lizardo would be. A strikeout guy, uh, Chris. What, what are your thoughts on both these guys? I'll split the tie here and go with Jesus Lazardo. For I think he's one of the best buy lows you can have. I mean, it at their peaks with both guys, like in the minor leagues, like I would have taken Jesus Lazardo. He was super elite as a prospect, performed at every level, dominated high strikeouts, low walks. He was like everything that I want in a pitching prospect, and he was like always right there, neck and neck with me with Mackenzie Gore. And, you know, this year, I think there are several things that we can attribute it to. One, I mean, obviously, some injuries. Two, some bad luck. You look at a 330 BABIP and a 64% strand rate. Like, those are just, you know, signs of bad luck. And and three, just his fastball location hasn't been there this year. You look at the heat map, and it's just dead over the middle of the zone. And, and you said it, you know, the, the wobo on it. He's, he has a 333 batting average against, allowed seven home runs on that one pitch. And that pitch alone has just been killing him. And I think that if he gets that right, then I'm not really worried about it. I think he'll jump back to a high level, and I think that he can be a high-end SP2. I think he's more than capable of that, and I think it just comes down to really the fastball, and that's really the biggest thing. So you look at what he even with the curveball and and the changeup, the curveball is a 55% whiff rate against it this year, 37% put-away rate, You know, not getting hit hard, not allowing – many hits against the XBA is even better. You know, the BA against it's 184 XBA of 134 is pretty impressive. X slug of 215 against that pitch. So I think if he can figure out the fastball and just locate it a little bit better, he'll come around. And I think he's a phenomenal by low in dynasty because again, people sour so fast on these prospects when they don't jump up and just perform at elite levels. And yep. Sixto's a great by low as well. You know, I like Sixto. I'm more concerned with Sixto's track record of injuries. He seems to be injured a lot. And, you know, this year, just kind of how they slow played everything until two months in the season to rule them out for the year. I don't know. 
I, I am worried about the durability concerns there. And I am to an extent with Lazardo, but I think Lazardo is a is one of the best dynasty bylaws you can have right now. So I, I'm leaning that way. I would agree with that. I think they both are are great bylaws right now because I still think the upside for both is pretty high. Obviously, both very talented arms, but I, I guess I'd do lean more. Uh, 6-0, but I would look to acquire both if possible. Uh, really quick, as we're going a little long here, but there's three more names I want to at least hit on briefly. Eduardo Rodriguez, Steven Strasburg, Chris Paddock. I'll just go each of you real quick. If you had to buy low, you know, given the the price tag that um, for each one of these guys, you had to buy low on one of these three right now. Which three would it be? Doc, and who would it be for you? So Erod Paddock, and who's the other one? Steven Strasburg. Well, it's definitely not him. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> rule him out. Yeah, take him right off the list. I'm afraid that he's he might just be cooked. Um, so I am going to go with Erod. I think he probably so I on my latest starting pitcher barometer, uh, I actually did a, a kind of a buy low, sell high bit since you know there had been not a whole lot of games pitched basically between my previous starting pitcher barometer, uh, thanks to you know the holiday and then a couple bullpen games towards the end of the week for a lot of teams. So, um, and I kind of regretted not putting Eduardo Rodriguez on that buy low list because if you just look at his surface stats, 552 ERA right now, but a 433 ERA over the past five games, which is 27 innings. Still doesn't sound great, but 313 FIP over that span as well. 11.3 strikeouts per nine, 1.3 walks per nine. So I think uh, particularly in redraft, I would take Erod. And uh, you know what? I'll just probably lean that way as well in Dynasty. Uh, Paddock, man, he's just he's got to find that third pitch. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but he's got to work on that. And he's just not going to have a huge upside, I think, until he finds out. Yeah, I, I agree. I go Erod as well. As a Red Sox fan that has watched, I think, Homer. all, yeah, Homer, bias, uh, yeah, all those words. Um, I've watched basically every one of Erod's stars this year, at least to some degree, and he has not looked as bad as his surface ERA. You mentioned, you know, so a lot of the metrics are better, especially lately. And his X ERA is actually 3, 3.54, which is basically right in line with last year. He's striking out more guys than he ever has. The walk rate is the best it's ever been. There's not a lot of red flags here. You look at his for his pitch arsenal here, his XBA on four of his five pitches is considerably lower than his actual batting average allowed. And the only, only one that's higher on is the slider, which, which is his least used pitch at 8.3%. So uh, definitely pitching a lot better than the surface stats. So in the case, one of the most unlucky pitchers in baseball this year. So I think Erod is a great buy low right now. And let's, let's not forget. He wasn't walking last year. Do you remember that report when he had COVID hit him so hard? Yeah. Right. He was down and out. So I was not interested in drafting him at all this year. I mean, kudos for him for even being able to pitch the level that he has been this year. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And he, you know, he had that, that heart issue. Uh, that's kind of, popped up a few times over his career. So yeah, kind of, it was kind of scary for, for Erod last year. So I remember, you know, a lot of us in Red Sox nation were just like, just hoping he can just be healthy and, you know, not even thinking about the baseball side of it, just, you know, get through this, be healthy. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think he's going to definitely write the ship here moving forward. Chris, what are your thoughts? Any of these three stick out to you as a, as a great buy low? Yeah. I mean, I guess Erod, I don't particularly want to get any of them. And like you said, I, I, I want to say Chris Paddock. I really do. I wish he would throw the curveball more because when he does, like it's a solid pitch. You look at the heat map, he can locate it pretty well down in the zone. 
I mean, he's got a 42.9% whiff rate with that pitch. I know he just uses it just 11% of the time, but like, come on, man, like use it more often because I mean, when you're using the fastball and change up 90% of the time, it's just, just not going to work. And I don't know. It's confusing to me. It's why he hasn't. I mean, the Padres seem like a pretty analytical run organization. You'd think that they would have, you know, tried to have fixed him at this point, but here we are. And, you know, same, same kind of thing. I think, Again, you look at the results and it doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, he's got a 375 Sierra, 383 FIP, which is serviceable. You know, his walk rates are, are pretty low for his career. I mean, he's at 5.4% career, 5.3% walk rate, strikeout rate right around 25% is in line with his career. Swinging strike rate is the highest of his career this year. So I do think there's the upside still. Like, I don't think he's ever going to perform at that 2019 level again. But I think he can be a solid option. Like he could be a guy who pitches around, you know, three seven five to a four ERA. I think that's definitely a possibility. But I do think he's going to struggle as long as he's solely relying on the four seam and the changeup. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on him. That's that's a good point, Chris. That I uh, meant to mention, and I actually forgot. I did actually put Paddock in that buy low article on my last SP barometer. So he did actually make the list. So you would think that I, I probably should have. Uh, gone with him, but I do like Erod quite a bit. But yeah, over the past 30 days, there is no one with the worst ERA minus FIP than Chris Paddock, a 4.93 uh, difference between an 806 ERA and a 313 FIP. So he has been much better than his surface stats would indicate. That's crazy to get that much, nearly five difference between the yep. ERA and the FIP. That's just crazy. That is nuts. I feel like Paddock is like a poor man's Tyler Glass now. Like some more like, all right, two good pitches, but not quite as good. Fastball changeup, not quite as good as Glass now's fastball curveball combination, and just struggling to find that third pitch. Luckily, Glass now found that this year for he he went on the IL as well. So I I still hope that Paddock can. I like Paddock. I don't know. I just like Paddock. I've always liked Paddock. Uh, getting back to his prospect day, so I hope he figures it out. But if not, I think he's just like a you know borderline top fifty dynasty pitcher, kind of always in that same range. So. Um, not really, I'm not really looking to buy him right now. I, def, I definitely would go buy Erod more. I'd buy him over Strasburg right now, even though I think Strasburg's still the most talented arm of these three, but you just can't count on him to stay on the mound longer than a couple of starts before he just goes on the IL with whatever the ailment of the week is with Strasburg. So, um, yeah, definitely for me, it's Erod. A um, little bit of a home run derby update here. You guys realize that Juan Soto has the longest home run of the night at 520 feet? <laughs> Juan Soto, baby. Well, did you see his battle with Otani? I mean, yeah. they tied and they tied again in the playoffs. Poor Otani was just gassed, though, because he, he went second. And then, you know, Soto won in the, the three swing. But, yeah, Alonzo's about to knock out Soto, though. Yeah, Alonzo was getting in the groove there. I should have picked Alonzo. Um, but I'm, I'm, I didn't think Soto had any chance, honestly, to knock off Otani. Alonzo Mancini final, man. I hope That'd Mancini be awesome. wins the upset of the century. That'd be awesome. Feel feel good story in the time when baseball could really use a feel good story right now. Um, but that's gonna wrap us up, Doc and man. It's been a pleasure. It's been about what, yeah, year, no, yeah, sixteen months or so since we since we potted last. So it was it was good catching up with you on the airwaves, my friend. Too damn long. That's how long it's been. Too yeah, damn long. <laughs> yeah, it felt great. Uh, podcasting with you again Clegg. it was a pleasure as well of course so yeah it it feels good to get the juices flowing again thanks for having me on (laughs) yeah thanks for coming yeah thanks for coming on that was an absolute blast uh that's gonna wrap us up like i mentioned 
Thank you to everyone for listening again this week. We hope everyone enjoyed it. I know I did. You can follow all of us on Twitter. Nathan is at Nathan Dawkins. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Check out all of our written work at FantraxHQ.com. Check out the Patreon as well. And we'll be back with you all again next week with more Dynasty and Prospect Talk. But until then, everyone take care. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232.